Today's scripture reading is found in the book of Romans, chapter 8, verses 1 to 4. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Father, we want now to continue our exaltation over you by opening your word together and asking that you would stand forth from it. I pray that by the Spirit we might see and taste Christ in and under, above and behind the word that he has spoken. And I pray that it would be a saving word and a strengthening word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So, Father, I ask that any among us who is not a hearty believer in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and treasure would be brought by the power of your word to trust and treasure Jesus. I pray for your help now to open these words faithfully, truly. Protect me from pride and fear and Satan and grant that this whole congregation would be riveted on your truth and on yourself. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. Verse 1 declares that there's no condemnation to us in Christ Jesus. Nobody's going to be condemned who is in Christ Jesus by faith. No wrath, no guilt, no punishment if you're in Christ Jesus. Then verse 2 says that by the power of the Spirit, a, a liberating force has come into our lives and it is setting us free from sin. There has been not a complete and final liberty from sin, but a decisive and irrevocable Liberation from sin, such that what Christ did on the cross severed the root of the dominion of sin. And that tree will die. And the relationship between the two verses, as we saw last week, is that this first one is called justification, verse 1. The second verse is called sanctification, and the second, this progressive, growing liberation from the power of sin, 
is the evidence that the first one has happened. We don't improve our lives in order to get justified. We are able to improve our lives because we have been justified. And all that was last week and the weeks before. Now we come to verse 3. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Now, there are four statements in that verse. One, God condemned sin in the flesh. Two, he did it by sending his own son into the world in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. Three, the law could not do this. Four, the reason the law could not do this is because of the weakness of the flesh. Now, what I want to do is take one of those four statements this morning, save the rest for after missions week, and linger over it long enough to see and feel some of the wonders that are in it. And the statement I want to focus on first is this one. God condemned sin in the flesh. God condemned sin in the flesh. And there are three wonders I want us to ponder so that our faith is strengthened and so that our, our Christ, our sin-bearing Christ is magnified and so that perhaps if God would be merciful, some who walked into this room not knowing Him, not loving Him, not trusting Him, would walk out knowing Him, trusting Him, loving Him, and saved because of it. So, here's the first observation about that one statement, God condemned sin in the flesh. Sin has already been condemned. Sin has already been condemned. Now, to feel the force of what that is saying, we've got to ask about the meaning of the word condemned here because it is used in our day more often than not in a way that it is not used here in this verse. For example, if you hear a newscast that says, President Bush condemned the attack on the World Trade Center. That is not what this verse means by the word condemned. Why not? What does he mean that this verse doesn't mean? What he means is the attack on the World Trade Center was condemnable. Wicked. Evil. In other words, he names it 
as worthy of condemnation. And he says, and it will be brought to justice. And then he's done. Well, I know that's not what this verse means because this verse says what the law could not do, God did when he condemned sin in the flesh. And the law is perfectly good at doing that. The law does that. In fact, what, that's what the law is designed to do. Pronounce sin as condemnable. Put a sentence on it. Death. Say, it will be brought to justice. End of law. End of president. That's not what this verse is talking about. That's not the end of God in Jesus. Something far more is happening in verse 3 and in this phrase than the pronunciation of an act as condemnable. And what is that? God condemned sin in the flesh means... God not only pronounced it condemnable, God not only revealed it as worthy of condemnation, God not only sentenced it, God executed the sentence upon it in Jesus. That's the key, which the law could not do. What the law could not do in regard to sin, God did, sending his own son, He condemned sin, that is, he punished sin. He executed sin. He poured out the sentence and the wrath on sin. So sin has been already condemned. That's the first observation. Second observation. There was no sin in Jesus to condemn. So God in Jesus, in the death and the sufferings of Jesus, in his body, in his flesh, condemned sin. And there's no sin there to condemn. So how can that be? How do I know that there was no sin there? Is there anything in this verse that says there was no sin there? Yes. Look carefully. It says, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. That's a very important word. In the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In other words, when the Son of God, infinite, eternal, divine, clothed himself with humanity... Born of a virgin, became the God-man, and had human flesh. There was no sin in him, no sin on him, neither his human nature nor his divine nature. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh. He looked like everybody else. He was like everybody else with this one exception. There was no sin in him. Neither his divine nor his human nature. Paul says it again in another place. 
Second Corinthians 5.21. Here's what he writes. God made him who knew no sin. There it is. To be sin. God made him who knew no sin. To be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus never sinned. He had no contamination by virtue of his birth. And he obtained no contamination by virtue of his life. Jesus is the one human being who has ever lived or ever will live who did not deserve to die. Jesus is the one human being who has lived, is living, or ever will live who did not deserve to suffer. And he suffered more than any human being. There was no sin in him, no sin on him, and God condemned sin in his flesh. Now, parents, any of your kids are in Sunday school right now? Every six-year-old, I'll pick a number that's in the middle of where I think the answer is. Every six-year-old in this church, at this point in the sermon, should be able to answer the question, How could God punish sin in Jesus if Jesus had no sin? And if our six-year-olds cannot answer that question, we need to beef up our devotional life at home. Don't blame it on the Sunday school. This is about moms and dads. So at lunch today... Ask your child, Pastor John said in his sermon this morning that God punished sin in Jesus. And everybody knows Jesus never sinned. How can God punish sin in Jesus if Jesus never sinned? Now, you might help him by asking Whose sin did he punish? They ought to be able to answer that question. To answer it, let me just read from the Bible about five or six texts. Romans 4.25 Christ was delivered over because of our transgressions. 1 Corinthians 15.3 Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Galatians 1.4 He gave himself for our sins. 1 Peter 2.24 He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. 1 Peter 3.18 Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. And then, if it would help you to know that God prophesied this 700 years before it would happen, let me take you now 
to Isaiah 53, 5. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell on him. And by his scourging, we are healed. I can remember sitting on the piano bench. I must have been, oh, I don't know, 10, 11, somewhere in there. My mother beside me on the big Steinway grand piano that she had inherited from her mother. In the living room, this is probably early 50s, I can remember getting ready to go to church on Wednesday night to the Royal Ambassadors. That was the Southern Baptist Youth Group on Wednesday night, the Royal Ambassadors. And needing to have a memory verse ready for a badge. And my mother was very vigilant to see to it that I learned the Bible. And so I said the next verse in Isaiah, and I have never forgotten it. All we like sheep have gone astray. This is King James. I'm sorry. That's what I was memorizing in those days. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one of us to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. And I thank God that I knew the gospel from the time I could talk. That's the gospel. The Lord laid on him John Piper's iniquity. So when it says in verse 3, God condemned sin in the flesh of his only son, who is only in the likeness of sinful flesh, and therefore had no sin, he means God condemned my sin and your sin if you are in Christ Jesus. And that's goodness. That's the gospel. Brothers and sisters, there is no other cleansing agent that can handle your conscience right now and make it clean. Oh, how many people are in bondage and defeated and hopeless because of a totally contaminated conscience because of years of sinning, some of the most gross and horrible kinds of sinning. Feeling I am so dirty. I live with such horrible memories, indeed, from this very week that you are inclined to think there is no hope for your life. And this text and this event is to persuade you and win you and woo you and beckon you and invite you and call you and compel you not to believe that you are beyond hope. There is no agent of cleansing like this agent of cleansing that our sins were condemned. There's no other shield 
No other asbestos shield to protect you from the white hot wrath of God than this shield. God condemned your sin in the flesh of His spotless Son. There is no other argument. I know no other argument than this. That Jesus died and that He died for me. And so I commend the gospel to you. I commend this glorious sentence to you. God condemned sin in the flesh. And His Son had no sin. Therefore, the meaning of it is God condemned the sin of all those who by faith alone would be in Christ Jesus. Every one of those sins is fully, finally, decisively, irrevocably. I used all four words for this. Not talking sanctification here. Fully, finally, decisively, irrevocably punished. Which means you cannot be punished for them. Again, that's the gospel. There's no double jeopardy here. God would be unjust and bring disrepute on the infinite worth of his son's precious blood if he punished your sins there and in hell. The issue for you right now is, am I? In Christ. And you don't need a work to get there. You don't need to clean up your life first to get there. By faith are we saved. And that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. That's the second observation. That I have. Here's the third and last one. When it says, God condemned sin in the flesh, the third observation is, God did it. God did it. Now here's two implications, massively relevant implications from God did it. Here's the first one. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, did not butt in between an angry God and a perishing sinner and wrestle them apart. God, leave him alone. Leave him alone. I love him. I'll save him. If you picture the cross that way, you don't know God. Now, how do I know that's not the right image of the cross? We got a wrathful and angry God. Yes, we do. He hates sin. He's going to punish it. We know that that's not the right picture of the intrusion of Jesus here because it says God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh condemns sin. He sent him in. He sent him in. He didn't butt in. 
God is ready to smash us with His wrath. And He's not just a wrathful God. He's a loving God, a merciful God, as well as a just God. So in the overflowing mercy and love, He says, Son, I want to save people from me. Will you partner with me to make this happen? There's only one way for me to be just and loving, and that's if you are willing to go. Take on human flesh, live a life of spotless sinlessness, and die under my wrath so they don't have to. Are you willing? And the son says, I am willing. The Father sent Him to save us from the Father. So, the implication is that when you see Jesus loving you, dying for you, suffering for you, bearing with great heaves of pain all that you should have borne so that you don't have to, you're looking at God's heart for you. So that's the first observation. When I say God did it, I mean, the Father teamed up with the Son with one heart of mercy to rescue you from wrath. And believe me, Jesus hates sin as much as the Father does. And when He comes in glory, you know what Revelation says? It will be the wrath of the Lamb with the sword coming out of His mouth that make unbelievers say, rocks fall on us and mountains cover us. That won't be the Father saying, get out of the way, loving Jesus. i got wrath to do. No way. He will be on a white horse, and there will be a sword in his mouth, and he will do horrendous judgment. This loving, tender, kind Jesus who's been spurned and spurned and spurned and spurned in this world. Don't spurn him. That's the first observation about God did it. Here's the last one. This does not fit with Islam or Hinduism or Buddhism or Orthodox Judaism or American secularism or nominal Baptist tomfoolery. What do I mean? There is one God, one God. One true, holy, infinite, loving, just, eternal God. Who is He? That's the question. Who is He? And do you know Him? This text says, He is the God who has an eternal, infinite, uncreated, pre-existing divine Son who is sent into the world, clothed with humanity, without sin, now the God-man, who is the one and only sin-bearing mediator between God and man who dies for sin and rises triumphant over death and hell and Satan ascends to the Father's right hand, sits in glory as King of the universe and King of Muhammad and all the 700 million Hindu gods and Buddha and all 
materialism and consumerism. He sits triumphant as the God-man and he will roll back the sky someday, step forth in power and glory and divide the sheep and the goats, make a new heavens and a new earth and his people will reign in peace and righteousness forevermore. And all who have not known that God submitted to that Savior will perish forever. That's why I say... It doesn't fit. Now, why am I talking this way? It is not to bring inflammatory words into a tense global situation right now. There's one simple motive. Against the stampede of fearful hearts in America and around the world, against the stampede into inclusivism, I want to preserve the gospel. That's my motive. What I mean by inclusivism is the view that every religion will do to get you to heaven. Islam will do. Buddhism will do. New Age spirituality will do. Jehovah's Witnesses will do and Mormons will do. Every brand of liberal Christ-rejecting theology will do. And Islam will do. And that is the most unloving posture anybody could assume in the universe. Because there is one God... He has a son. Muslims hate calling God Father. And our loving Heavenly Father has an eternal Son, divine. Paul says he was in the form of God and did not count equality with God a thing to be held on to, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant and clothed himself with humanity so that according to Colossians 2.9, all the fullness of deity dwells in him bodily. If you don't know him as Savior and God, you don't know God, whatever name you put on him, Christian or Muslim. The most loving thing that the Church of Jesus Christ can do for Muslims today is peacefully, meekly, and self-sacrificially, not with a sword or a bomb in your hand, tell them the gospel by which they may be saved. Peacefully, meekly, with a readiness to lay down your life and not take theirs. That's Christianity. Christianity is not... The force behind the bombing in Afghanistan. That is a civic magistrate executing imperfectly, probably a just cause. That would be my particular viewpoint on it. That's quite irrelevant to Christianity. Christianity is an army with no guns. And no swords 
and no anthrax in our hands, but one thing, a cross and a Bible and a readiness to die, to tell them how not to die. That's why I say what I say. There is one God. There is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. Not to know him is not to know God. We must tell them. So, no cleansing agent can clean your conscience. No shield can protect you from his wrath. And no argument can hold sway in the final courtroom of heaven except this one cleansing agent, this one shield, and this one argument. Christ died for me. Christ died for me. And you, if you will have it and rest in it. I want to commend to you that all you Christians make this a strong, deep, passionate affirmation of faith. Not only that brings you joy, but makes you courageous to lay down your life to share it with every other religion. And for those who walked in here not trusting Jesus, perhaps, and I pray that it be so, you've heard the freeness of the gospel, how free it is. It's not something you measure up to by being American or, or Afghani or anything else. It's not something you work for. It's a gift. God did it 2,000 years ago so that by the believing we could have it as a gift. Would, would perhaps you... As a first time affirmation of faith, a profession of your faith that God has wakened in your heart right during this service. That's the way he does it. You, do, you know, so many people have, have in their mind, oh, let's see, I heard the word now. Someday I've got to believe that or someday I've got to walk to the front or someday I've got to sign a card or someday I've got to pray a prayer or someday I've got to do something. Faith is just faith. It happens while you're hearing the Word of God. The Spirit opens your heart, draws you to Himself, and you find yourself saying, Yes! Yes! I yield. And now the Lord bless you with this gospel. The Lord make His face to shine upon you with this gospel. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you with this gospel. And the Lord liberate you to live in this gospel and share this gospel. And all the people said, Amen. Amen. You're dismissed.